I'm Fry, and I'm Bree, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 11, Hygienus. What? Yes, his name is Hygienus. Okay. No comment on that. <laughs> I I mean, hygiene is good. I can't fault a man for wanting to be hygienic. No, no, we can't fault them for that. And can you believe that this is episode 11? I cannot officially double-digited, not just 10, but 11. We are in the tween category now. We sure are. That is so many episodes. I can't believe this is happening, but it's great. It's great. We we have listeners. We have feedback. There's a bank of episodes now. So if you're finding this show in the future, you're welcome. So let's talk about hygienists. Yeah. Well, we're going to try to talk about Hygienus. Are we? Does he not have anything on him? Not really. Uh, oh. We're right off to a bumpy start. We don't have a single reliable source to tell us when he was born or, you know, what year it was. But we do know that he was born in Athens. So he's another Greek pontiff. Oh, yeah. And there are a couple of sources who give Hygienus some naming variations because... Could we have an early pope that didn't have some sort of confusion about his name? No, we couldn't. So here we go. That's not how you pope. You don't pope this way in, in the early, early church. His other name choices are hygiene, literally, <laughs> and Inigo. That's not the same at all. You killed my pope. Prepare to die. Right. I actually wrote that one in there in brackets. Oh, I'm sure. I'm real proud of myself. <laughs> That guy that you tweeted about the uh, Princess Bread references is going to be so pleased. I know, this is exactly what I was thinking of when I promised him there would be more to come. But, okay, so we kind of maybe know something about his early life. He might have been a philosopher before he joined the church, because some sources kind of obliquely reference that this may have been a thing, but... It's also more likely that this is a confusion around two other Latin philosophers from the first century who were also called Hygienus. Ugh. It's a popular name? It is a popular name. Oh, man. The more famous Hygienus is Gaius Julius Hygienus, who is the author of the Fabulae and the Poeticon Astronomicon. The other famous Hygienus is Hygienus Grammaticus, who wrote on land surveying, as well as Hygienus of Cordova, a bishop in what is now Cordova. Oh, shocking. I know. Big, big deviations here, but, you know, we just have to change names slightly over the eras so that we give people a bunch of trouble. So it's possible that these sources that say he was a philosopher kind of confabulated all of these people into one person and then called it Pope. Okay, that could happen. It, it's, a, it's a possibility, and unfortunately, that is all we know about Hygienus before he became Pope. We don't know if he was born into a Christian family, if he was a convert, when they might have left Athens, when he entered the church. So, I mean, you can decide if you like. Mm. <laughs> Non-committal shrug. No. All right. We can be shrouded in antiquity. Is that going to be our new buzzword for things we don't know? It's not even a buzzword. It's a whole phrase. 
It's great. I love it. When we reach that level of clout in the podcasting world, we can say that things are shrouded in antiquity, like we have some sort of authority. <laughs> authority. So now, with it decided that it is shrouded in antiquity, we know that Hyginus becomes Pope around 136 to 138 after the death of Telesphorus. And it's said that his papacy was a time of relative peace for the church without much in the way of official persecutions. But considering that Telesphorus was martyred, and where we're going to go with this, I feel like that would have to be a really recent peace that isn't going to last very long. It was like six months of peace. And they're like, it's peaceful now. No Christian has been executed this week. We are in an era of peace. They've got a little counter. It's been, whatever, three days since our last execution. It's a wonderful time. We hit 13 days. <laughs> but just because the Empire wasn't heavily gunning for Christians at the time, it doesn't mean that it was a peaceful time for the church itself. In our last episode on Telesphorus, we started to poke at the fact that the church is kind of rolling out of its infancy phase, and just like any other toddlers, it is now filled with lots of questions, and with these questions comes debate. In religion, with debate comes heresy. Oh, I thought you were going to say denominations. Well, maybe the heretics felt that way, but the Catholic Church did not. Again, last week we talked about how Telesphorus began the process of clarifying church practices, but it will be under Hyginus that now we're going to see the people who were asking the questions referred to as heretics that need to be dealt with, so... Don't ask any questions. Most of the heretics at this time are going to fall under that umbrella of Gnosticism that we introduced last week. Mm -hmm. For a refresher... Gnosticism is the esoteric sect focused on having knowledge in their hearts rather than through spiritual teaching, because the temporal world is an emanation of God, and the divine spark is trapped within human bodies. According to the Gnostics, the best way to know God was through individual experiences and perceptions as a direct participation with the divine spark inside of yourself. And this applied to everything, including, like, knowing when the apocalypse was coming, what the true nature of God is, which religious texts are worthy of being looked at. Their, their knowledge inside of them is telling them all these things, so they don't need the church to do it for them. Yep, they're just going to go with their gut. Mm -hmm. So Gnostics felt that ritual behavior, like what is being solidified in the church, was empty and meaningless and that it paled in comparison to anything that was done with intentional, internal motivation. Wow. And that's a phrase. Intentional, internal motivation. That sounds like something that someone now would write, like, a book on. Yeah, I mean, this is, this, people will argue, and I've seen this in doing the research for this, that Gnosticism is the first origins of what would become something like Kabbalah. Ah. Gnosticism didn't spring up entirely out of Christianity either, so it's not simply coming out of the church at this point. It may have come from the Alexandrian Jewish population, but it also may have ties that go back to the Greco-Roman mysteries, like the Eleusinian mysteries, which 
are extremely secretive religious orders and practice that individuals had to be initiated into. If you want to know more detail about the mysteries, the History of Ancient Greece episodes 61 and 62 go into much more detail about the Eleusinian mysteries, so check that out. This may be the start of this Gnosticism movement. You have these mysteries, they may have gone through a process of syncretism and enculturation into the Christian ideal, and then some of that syncretic sort of half form might be where we get Gnosticism, especially after Jerusalem is heavily suppressed by the Romans and is no longer a candidate for this God's kingdom on earth theory. So maybe it's melding out of more than just the early church. That's fair. Some scholars, even the ancient scholars, think that Gnosticism was met so well with Christianity because of the Gospels of John and Paul, because they make such strong distinctions between an individual's soul and their body, with only the soul being the part of the person that can be saved. This is why it's meshing really well. We have Tertullian in his writings, suggesting that Paul might even be the Apostle of the Heretics. Ooh. At least this is a claim that Douglas Del Tondo's book, False Teacher, is trying to make. But we should clarify this isn't because Tertullian thought that Paul was a heretic, but that heretics that follow the Gnostic faith, like Marcion, were drawing claims of legitimacy for their movements through Paul's teachings. They just appealed to the Gnostics the most. So Paul might not be cool with lesbians, but he's chief among heretics. Yep. <laughs> it seems like a good fit, you know? The Catholic Church is eventually going to take a pretty hard stance against Gnosticism, but for the time being, we're just mentioning it because it won't exactly die out and it's going to continue to evolve. And there are people who will argue that it carries on through the Renaissance becoming esotericism. And then you can get that modern-day Kabbalah spin off of it. So far, this is all theoretical discussion. But let's dig into how it's actually going to have an impact during Hygienus's papacy. Yes, because this is not a theoretical podcast. This is a podcast about Pope's faces. Oh, he's going to let you down in that category. <laughs> but, okay, so, during his time... We have a handful of Gnostic preachers in Rome for Hygienus to have to deal with, and they're going to inspire others that the church will have to deal with later on. The two that show up in Hygienus's time are called Cherto and Valentinus. Cherto is from Syria, and he's initially a follower of our old friend Simon Magnus, who you might remember from the Clementine Romance as the magician man who claimed that he was greater than God, and then Peter was debating and chasing him across the east. and Yes, and then he had to run away like Count Olaf. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then at some point he tries to impersonate Clement's father and get him all into trouble, and that doesn't work out so well. It's all Count Olaf all the way down. Yep. The fact that he is a follower of Simon Magnus doesn't prevent Cherto from coming to Rome in about 138 and becoming prominent in the early church. So at this point, he's not presenting as a heretic right away. So it's actually said by Irenaeus that he was in the church alongside Hygienus before Hygienus was the prominent bishop. People can change their mind. Yeah. It's not weird. 
And that's kind of what happens because Churdo begins to lean very hard into the Gnostic view of God and Christ. Tokyo drifting into this. I'm Tokyo drifting into Gnosticism, right? I mean, we can we can assume that more than likely because he'd studied under Simon Magnus, this was always kind of his philosophy, but in around 140... What's <laughs> <laughs> the third one that's gone by? They heard Tokyo drift and they came! In 140, Churdo begins to preach the Gnostic idea of the two gods that we talked about before. The one angry, bad, jealous god who demanded obedience and delivered harsh punishments, you know, smiting people, and the kind god of mercy. So this is that Old Testament god versus the New Testament god. The first god is the one who created the world, but the second one is the one who sent his son Christ to the people. It's Gnosticism in whole. He also rejects the concept of Christ's resurrection, arguing that Christ's body had never been physical on earth, and he was only present as some sort of illusion or emanation of the kind god's benevolence. All I picture every time you say that is, like, some sort of Scooby-Doo projector. Well, that that's what he's arguing. And he's going to take it one step further either, because he's going to say that Jesus was not born of a virgin for the same reason. He's an illusion. How can a virgin give birth to an illusion, right? This is that docetism idea, you know. So it's a huge problem for the Catholic Church because it undermines Jesus' suffering and his sacrifice and... Yeah, because if you don't suffer, then what is it all for? What's the point of this whole thing? Yeah, if you're an illusion, you think you might just go, bye. Yep, no thank you. <laughs> Not into it. You guys took this in a weird direction. What is that quote? I came out to have a good time, and honestly, I'm feeling so attacked right now. Yes. That's Churdo. And Churdo is going to be the predecessor for a man called Marcion, who is going to take Gnosticism and the whole issue of the church to another level later on. Martian is going to run the Gnostics for a long time, to the point where they will become called the Marcionites. Big deal, dude. Alright, so I assume that comes later. Yeah. So for now, Hyginus is not having Churdo's preachings, and some sources say that Hyginus has him excommunicated. No thank you. There are some other sources that suggest that he voluntarily withdraws from the church. You can't fire me, I fire myself. Yeah, I like that one. But then there are other sources that, like the Lives of the Saints, published in 1866, that say he was cast out of the church, but then he repented his false teachings and was brought back into the church. And then he started preaching his ideas in secret, so he was excommunicated again. And, you know, this source also calls him a wolf in sheep's clothing and a monster. Wow, that's someone's got an agenda. Yeah, they got some feels about this guy. They do. They had so many feels, they excommunicated him twice. And this same source also talks about the other Gnostic that we need to talk about, Valentinus. And they call him the Minister of Satan. So, you know, again. Oh. <laughs> lots of feels. Tertullian also tells us about Valentine and say, says that he was intelligent and eloquent. He was once prominent in the church as well and had actually been considered for a bishopric in a post in Egypt. Oh, all the way out in Egypt? 
Yeah, well, that's a pretty big province at the time. I know, it just seems far. But that would be a huge step up for him. To be a bishop of Egypt, that would be a big deal. But he gets passed over for this position for another candidate. So he breaks with the church to start his own group. Oh, he got mad. Yeah. Jilted. And a little side note again, he may have been a student of a man called Thutis, who had been a disciple of Paul, and so this is why Paul is called the Apostle to the Heretics. His ideas are heavily on the Gnostic scale, and he would found a movement that would also outlive him called Valentinianism, which has to do with this idea of the origin of divine beings and the three hypostases of God, which is that Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he may have been one of the first people to put this idea forth at all. So, oh, yeah, that's a weird for like some Gnostic guy to be like, here, here's one of the main pillars. Yeah, and it, it's it's weird because... All sources say that Hyginus tries to be patient with him and not choosing to excommunicate him, but to try and bring him back into the fold. Bro, you got some good ideas. You need to stop this weird stuff. Yeah, he's obviously a valuable figure in the church, and his break with the church had been for personal reasons rather than spiritual ones. And again, the church is going to adopt his idea of the three hypostates of God, they probably didn't see him as so heretical. He's not Cherto here, he's Valentinus. Unfortunately, Valentinus will be excommunicated in the first year of Hyginus's successor Pius, so that's not going to last. But he's going to stay in Rome for a few popes later after this, and his movement will carry on, so we'll see how well that goes. The other thing that Hyginus is credit with according to the Liber Pontificalis and its ongoing mission to attribute one major development of the early church to all of the first popes, is that he outlined and clarified the hierarchy and precedent of the church. He's going over the responsibilities and powers that are associated with each role, and since a later pope of over 300 years from now will also have this attributed to him, we believe that for hygienists, this is probably to do with the really low basic orders of the hierarchy, whereas Pope Hormistus in the future will expand on that quite a bit. Because we have so little on hygienists as a whole, we are going to use this opportunity to give a survey of the ecclesiastical hierarchy for context in future episodes. This is going to be extremely brief, no more than an overview. But we've covered some of this already in our intro episodes, and if this is something that listeners want to know more about, let us know. We could dedicate a canon law type episode to it later and go into more detail. Ah, oh, that sounds so boring. It could be. Who knows? We're just, we're going to do it real quick so that we have it, and if anybody needs to reference back to it, we've got it. All right, starting with no hat, we have... Yeah, starting at the bottom, we have the deacons. And a deacon is a seminarian, or someone who is studying for the priesthood, for as short or as long as it takes, because you can actually be a permanent deacon, like Deacon Dad currently is. Deacon Dad is definitely a permanent deacon. And yes, it is okay for permanent deacons to be married and have families, like Deacon Dad. Putting it out there. Deacons assist the priest with the performance of mass, and they're able to perform certain sacraments themselves, like marriage. 
like Fry would know. Because <laughs> of Deacon Dad. I made Deacon Dad oversee my wedding and do the thing. Fantastic. How personal. I love it. So above a deacon, we have a priest. And a priest has taken the holy orders, the vows of chastity, obedience to the church, sometimes poverty, and they can perform all the sacraments, which is the Eucharist, reconciliation slash penance, baptism, marriage, confirmation, anointing the sick. Ta-da! Bishop. A bishop is a priest ordained to the next level, who becomes the chief priest and leader of the local station who provides over a cathedral in an area that's large enough to have one. Becoming a bishop is quite a process, which we covered in episode one. On this rock, I will build my podcast. Check it out. There's a whole secret component to it. It's a thing. Then we have the archbishop, and the archbishop is the chief priest over a large diocese, usually in a metropolitan area. They don't really have increased authority compared to a bishop, aside from being the first bishop. Being an archbishop opens other responsibilities like becoming a papal nuncio or sitting on councils or congregations. So you have a little bit more opportunity to become known if you are an archbishop. Then we have the Metropolitan Archbishop, which is essentially the chief archbishop over what is called an ecclesiastical province, aka running several of these large dioceses. And so it's one step up from an archbishop. Then we have the primates. This isn't a title that is used in every country in the world, and it's somewhat antiquated. It doesn't really have any power anymore. It used to be a role that was similar to the Metropolitan Archbishop overseeing the sees of the church, but now it's mostly just an honorific that is given to the archbishop or the bishop who holds the oldest diocese in a given country. So primate first, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Then we have the cardinals. The cardinals are the princes of the church, which is a position of special designation for bishops who have established themselves in the roles that we just talked about. They sit on councils. They run departments in the curia. They manage other responsibilities. They don't have special power in the day-to-day -day running of the church, but their main purpose is to serve as the college of cardinals to advise the Pope when called, and then to form the conclave when it's time to elect a new one. And then we have the Pope. And that's the topic that we're on. Yeah, and if you somehow skipped over it and you don't know exactly what a Pope is or what their titles mean, check out episode two. We covered it all in detail. We sure did. Also, I should mention, Deacon Dad actually took vows of chastity. I was there. What? <laughs> Yeah. He's married to yeah, a deacon mom. <laughs> Deaconess? I think that's a term. Yeah, no, they have to take him. And, like, one of the guys who was uh, elevated to deacon with him was not yet married, so he doesn't get a wife at all, ever. Oh my gosh. If uh, deacon mom decides to die horrifically before deacon dad, because, like, I honestly don't see my mom dying before my dad does. Something weird would have to happen. Um, but yeah, if my mom for some reason dies, he can't remarry. And he would, like, he's disgusted. He said that he would probably go on to be a priest at that point. Well, that 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 is a thing. That is a choice. Now I have to ask, is it valid while you're still married? Or is it like, 
I am taking a vow of future celibacy. It's a vow of future celibacy. Okay. Just just checking. Yes. <laughs> That's a weird question to ask you, but thanks, Deacon Dad, for such great conversations. <laughs> it is a weird thing to ask me. But come on. If I was married and I was taking, if, if my husband took a vow of chastity, I would want to know what the stipulations are here. Right? I'd be like, what are you doing? Did you just make a vow of chastity for me as well? <laughs> like, what is happening there? No, it's a future, it, it, uh, you know, guillotines on once the death do them part and he becomes married to Jesus. So if they weren't, like, in their advanced age and they suddenly had another child, someone wouldn't be like, oh, you broke your vow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That, I get it. It's weird, but I get it. You're welcome, listeners. I asked the weird question. <laughs> yeah, I was I was there when Dad took the vow of chastity. That was a weird thing to hear your father spout from his mouth. <laughs> oh, if only we started this podcast sooner and we could have a recording of it. Oh, it'd be great. Okay, so those are the roles in the church. Deacon Dad is a delight as always. <laughs> so what else did Hygienus do? Okay, well... He has a couple other small things that I guess we should talk about. He is the first pope to declare that all churches should be consecrated as places of holy ground, which seems to be some sort of expansion on Evaristus's consecration of altars and Sixtus's idea of the sacred vessels. He's also said to have introduced the concept of godparents, which, for anybody who is less than a Catholic, is the person who is chosen by parents to assist a child through the baptism and in cultivating a child's spiritual development. Mm -hmm. I met your godmom, and she's delightful. She is delightful. <laughs> she came out to meet me. That's wonderful. He is also said to have ordained 15 new priests, 5 new deacons, and 6 new bishops, according to our favorite book, The Liber Pontificalis. And then he dies in... 140 or 142. Does it say how? Nah, he may have been martyred, but there's no records. Uh, he's not included in the martyrology either. All we know is that he definitely died in Rome and was buried at Vatican Hill. Okay. All Eusebius says is that he died in the first year of Antoninus Pius, and there wasn't as much martyrdom happening at the time, so... Maybe he had a heart attack. He, he could have. In a, a pop apoplexy. What do they call those? Apoplectic? There we go. Apoplexy. Yeah, he could have. So, that is Hygienus. I guess it is time to rate him. Yeah, he may not rate as poorly as others. He may, he may, well, there's lots that we've had to talk about here, so let's get into it. Papatum infallium. Church hierarchy, that's kind of a big deal. It is. That's really important. We don't know how much of that is actually him, because, like Eusebius says, maybe it's just the bottom orders of it. That's still important, because um, everyone was sort of trying to put that together, and nothing was in stone yet. Yeah, so that's a big one. Then we have the consecration of churches. Yep. And we have godparents. So these are all things that have clearly lasted through the ages. Again, we're getting this from the Liber Pontificalis, so it's probably all garbage, but we're judging them based on this garbage. That's the only garbage we have to judge. <laughs> Don't touch my garbage. It's like Nailed It, which I guess season two is out. 
Oh, I watched the whole season yesterday. Ah! He also excommunicated the heretics. Well, at least, Cherto. What do we want to give him for all of that? Um, those are some big things. They're big things, yeah. I'm gonna give him a six. Yeah, maybe like a six or a seven. Six, six sounds good. Okay, he gets a 12 for Papatumimphalium. That's pretty good. That's the third highest score that we've had so far, and I think that sounds just about right. Fructus Prohibitum? Can you guess? Um, no. Well, that's that's as good of a guess as any, because the answer is nothing. I thought maybe there was a secret. No secret, just nothing. He secretly kept 17 chickens in his dorm room. That sounds more like Honorius, the emperor, but we're still a ways away from that, and that would not be in our category. That is a Totalis Rankium episode for you. Side note, he had a pet chicken called Rome. When one of his soldiers came in to tell him that Rome had fallen, he was like, no, I just had her in my hands. He didn't realize that, you know, the city. He was a dummy. Happens. Moving on. Seculari impactum. Did he have an effect on the everyday people? Well, he starts designating what is heresy to the church. And I think that that's a pretty important distinction because once you are heresy, you are secular. And so that is going to have a, an impact on the secular world. And this is like the, the Gnostics are going to be around for a long time. Remember when I said Easter is going to be around for a long time? Yep. This is going to be around as long if not longer, I think in designating what heresy is for the church at this point, you are making a statement that is going to have an impact on the world. I think it's worth like a three. So I can match that because if you're if you're saying what definitely is something. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I think a three is fair, too, even if you don't want to just count it for a heresy. There are still a lot of secular people who have godparents in, in today's standards, so there's a little bit of something there, so I think I'll give him two and a half for the heresy and half a point for godparents. All right. All right, so that gives him a six for secularis impactum. Fossium sanctus. Okay, it is time. Ooh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we have one image. Okay. And, and it's, um, well, I will just send it to you. You can describe it. It's... It's a thing. It's it's just that. That looks like a dinner plate. Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. He's very, very golden, but, I mean, we, we've had this kind of stylized picture before, and we will have it again. These are sort of the quote-unquote official images, if you will. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of copies of this style. It's just, it's your standard church painting. It's a man. He's. Do you want to give him anything for it? I want to know what's up with his beard. <laughs> All the little... He's got a cleft. He's got a butt beard. Okay, that's where the point. Butt beard. I'm giving him a point for the cleft beard. All right. It does look like a, a big ass now that I look at it. Oh, he's got some luscious lips, too. Oh, he does? Yep. On top of that butt beard. Ooh. Well, this is some symbology for you. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Do you think maybe he had, like, a crazy sex drive that they're trying to, um, allude to? Or, no, was it, was he a butt kisser? <laughs> oh, even there's that, too. I, I I see where you get sex drive from that. I was just thinking he was, like, brown nosing. Well, 
It could be either way. What do you think he earns for that? I'm going to give him like a one and a half. You and your point fives, you're wrecking my perfect scores. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So that gives him a... What did you give him? One point? I gave him a one. And now he has a 0. 0.625 for... <laughs> for his butt kisser. For the butt beard. You know. They say that people with cleft chins are the most attractive. I don't know if he has a cleft chin or if he didn't comb it properly. If that was his chin all the way down there, that would be a problem. <laughs> he would rival Jay Leno at that point. Oh, he'd have Jay Leno topped. For sure. Tempest Pontificus. We have 136 to 142, because Telesphorus died in 136. Another source says 139 to 140, but we're going to go with 136 to 142, which gives him six years and a score of 1.5. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. He is a saint, yes. His feast day is January 11th. Now, we have to have a discussion about this patron saint thing. There is a website called catholicreadings.org who lists him as a patron saint of the Catholic Church. <laughs> That's not... No. I, I mean, I can't find this corroborated anywhere else. It seems super lofty, and I think that what they meant is that he's a saint within the Catholic Church. Like, he's a Catholic saint, but they wrote patron saint of the Catholic Church. And it just struck me as very, very funny. To give this relatively unknown pope the honor of being the patron saint of the entire Catholic Church. So, in the end, it's down to whether or not you would you want to give him that, that honor. Or if you'd like to give him something else. Oh, okay. I was gonna go the um, patron saint of soap, but... <laughs> of personal hygiene that's a good way to go yeah especially like after a three-day con wash yourselves this has been a psa from your patron saint saint hygienist all right well we can give him that i like it i i think he can be the patron saint of soap but you know i think that works given his name nobody will be confused where we got it from so all right because i think of the Catholic Church is clearly a mistyping, misspeaking. He can also be the patron saint of the entire Catholic Church. Soap and the Catholic Church? Yes, at the same time, because that is amazing. I have gone to morning mass after New Year's Eve and almost vomited on people. Oh, dear. That is a story. You would need, so you would need some soap. Yeah. Well, all right. The patron saint of soap and the entire Catholic Church, if that wasn't good enough for him. So, total score. It's not, it's not that bad. Um, he, he scores a, a reputable 21.125. Okay. Which makes him in third place. Nice. So, that's, that's pretty respectable. He, he made some good contributions. We're proud of him. This is this actually was unexpected when I was doing the research. I did not expect him to score so well, but thinking about it and saying it all out loud, yeah, 
he could take third place. That makes sense. He could butt kiss his way to first. Ooh, I don't know about that. I mean, Peter is still our first place runner, and that's because you gave him a massive douche score. With that, we have to decide. Does he have that papally pizzazz, that impact, and that personality or something memorable about him that makes him worthy of talking about well into the future to get a papal bull? I don't, I just don't know. Yeah, I I'm impressed. I'm really impressed with, with how his score went. I think that that's pretty huge considering the overall like where he is the fact that nobody knows this dude and he scored really well i mean i don't want to say no should we just roll for it and see what the divine intervention says i don't know if i'd even go that far like i don't feel like he's done something that stands out i need a little bit more personality in there that's fair i'm so on the fence that i don't even have an answer so well, if you don't feel strongly and I'm a no, then I don't think we should roll the dice. All right. If for some reason our listeners think we should have rolled the dice, we will do it later. Well, well, at the end, depending on how many papal bulls we have, we're talking about probably five years from now, when we finish all of the popes, if there are any wild cards that people feel very strongly in, we'll, we'll probably have a poll... At that time, hopefully we have more listeners and there will actually be, like, a legit result of the poll and maybe we'll put someone in. All right. You know, if you feel really strongly about the patron saint of soap, you can let us know. And with that, um, we've got some thank yous to make. Well, in a kind of different way this week, actually. So the first thank you that we need to make today is to Chris at the Age of Victoria podcast who aired our promo that he so kindly invited us to do. And he gave us a wonderful shout out on his show. That is fantastic. But we're going to do our thank yous a little bit differently today as well. Because today, today we have hit another milestone. We had our first 500 downloads in one day day, which is our best download day ever. That's so many. And we broke 6,000 downloads all time. And we have... 300 followers on Twitter now, and we're just about at 100 uh, likes on Facebook. Nice. The people that we really need to thank today are our listeners and our audience and the people who are actually tuning in and listening and liking and following. You guys are the reason we're making this show, and that is super, super cool. These numbers are, you know, you could, there are podcasts that are getting 50,000 downloads a day and 100,000 downloads a day and that's all fine and good but dude we didn't know if anybody was gonna listen at all so this is huge we didn't know if it was just gonna be our friends and we'd be like hey you should listen to our pope podcast and i'm sure they would have felt really awkward being like i don't care that much about the popes but there are people who do and you guys have been amazing you've been consistent we have we have actual listeners reaching out People telling us when our audio files get all f***ed up. Please do that. I am not a professional audio editor. I am just somebody who sits in their house and makes it go. And sometimes that breaks. And I've gotten a bunch of recommendations from people about sites in Rome that are related to the popes for me to check out when I get there. I'm writing a list. There's people who have given me restaurant Ooh. recommendations while I'm there. And 
there is a bunch of awesome people out there actually listening to us, and you are those awesome people. So thank you very much. Thank you to you guys. Fantastic. Round of applause for you. If Hygienist gets one, then oh, you yeah. guys get one. Too. <laughs> Woo! Do the PBS and support from viewers like you. So you can find us on all of your favorite podcatching platforms. Yeah, we we pretty much play on most of them, I think, if not all of them. There are some weird ones coming up on the uh, the stats that I had never even heard for of. It like one was an experimental like Apple product. You can also reach out to us on Twitter and Facebook at Pontifax Pod, and you can also email us at Pontifax Pod at gmail.com if you also really want to help us out you can rate us and review us on those podcatching platforms i know itunes has a great rating and review system but so does google and podknife podknife yeah podknife and podbean and yeah just rate and review if you like us or if you don't i guess yeah i mean you could put that up there too we celebrate we celebrate some hate as well as some love just because it means we're relevant. Yeah, however you're feeling, please tell other people so that they can make a decision. And with that, we say thanks and goodbye. Bye. Bye.